Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts us all. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. This episode of the Broadband Bunch is sponsored by ETI Software, your zero-touch automation experts. By Calix, simplify, excite, grow. By DXTEL, creators of the Harper Broadband Marketing Library. By ITK Solutions Group, process first, technology second. And by Utopia Fiber, building a more connected nation. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm your host, Pete Pizzatello. Uh, I am joined today by a very special guest from Microsoft. She is the general manager of the Microsoft Airband Initiative, uh, Ms. Vicki Robinson. Vicki, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Pete. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into all that you guys have going on. It's a pretty exciting program um, and helping a lot of people uh, across the country. Um, but before we do that, it would be helpful for our listeners just to understand you know, how you ended up here. How did you, what was your journey? It's a pretty non-traditional journey for uh, most of the guests that we have on the show. Um, so just a little context about how you became uh, the manage, general manager for the Airband Initiative. Sure, Pete. Well, I describe myself as a reformed lawyer. I'm not practicing law with Microsoft currently, but there is some continuity to what I'm doing now and what I've done previously in my my journey to 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 do to, to be where I am now. So in law school, I went to law school to originally uh, become a criminal defense attorney. I found out fairly early on that I didn't have the constitution for that work <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um, was more drawn to communications law. I thought that it was something that was really cool because it was always evolving. You're not necessarily at a disadvantage by being new to the field because it was always changing. And ultimately, I uh, decided to go into communications law and private practice. And as a part of my practice representing uh competitors or disruptors, uh, one of the issues that really stuck out to me uh, was this whole issue of universal service regulation and what it was designed to do. And essentially, uh, here in the United States, there's, uh, by statute, the country has this big ambitious goal to ensure that everyone has access to telecommunications and information services. And so, from private practice that led me to many, many years at the Federal Communications Commission, where I worked on policies and enforcement work designed to close the digital divide in an equitable manner. And following um, my uh, time at the FCC and, and at the Universal Service Administrative Company, which administers the Federal Universal Service Fund programs, I came to Microsoft through a connection that I actually made with a colleague uh, as a summer associate who was also in the same practice and had a somewhat similar journey. And they told me about the work that they were doing at Microsoft in this space. And they made me an offer that was too good to refuse. <laughs> No, that's great. And, you know, before we get too deep into it, uh, it would be great to kind of back up and explain um, what drew you to the Microsoft Airband Initiative, but also what the, the original mission was and how you've seen it kind of evolve over time. Sure. Happy to do that. Um, maybe I'll start by 
the first half of your question is what drew me to the to this work. It was really the opportunity to approach this problem set, which, gosh, I've been working on this issue for more than two decades now, um, but to approach this problem set from the private sector. And I was intrigued that a tech company like Microsoft would be interested in this issue. Right. Um, but it actually makes a lot of sense if you think about the origins and purposes of what's called the now called the Airband Initiative. So Microsoft has um, always been, you know, focused on work to democratize access, whatever that looks like. Whereas early on in the company's history is about getting, you know, a laptop on every on every desk. It's certainly evolved now to ensuring that everyone has access to the cloud and all the things are enabled as a result of being connected or being able to leverage the power of the cloud. Uh, to be able to get access to the cloud, however, uh, you have to be connected and online. Mm -hmm. And so um, that is very much core to our business. And uh, what I really love about the Airband Initiative is that in seeking to ensure that everyone is able to get online, it, it's this very nice intersection between our company business purpose and our corporate social responsibility interest and programs. And so essentially, uh, that's how Airband was born. It was originally focused on work outside of the United States uh, to extend affordable broadband access in unserved and underserved communities um, across the world. And ultimately, really following the 2016 election and all the things that came up during that election, including the strong sense that rural America was being left behind. And as a result of that and really thinking about that issue as a company, uh, we decided that we needed to do something in our own backyard, as it were, to address this problem that seemed to be elusive. And that's how the Airband Initiative was born, with a focus at the time uh, really on rural unserved areas within the United States. And subsequently, we reaffirmed our commitment to do this work outside the United States, again, uh, all in service of what we could do to extend broadband access for all. No, that's it's extremely helpful. You said some interesting things there about representing the disruptors, right? And we know that in our industry that there's been uh, some monopolistic tendencies, right? And, and giving people a fair chance, but also the underdogs, right? I mean, your mission is directed to the underserved and that's pretty empathetic. And I feel like it's an early um, recognition of that need opposed to now, right? The COVID has really amplified that or magnified that, I should say. Um, you know, what is it in your background and your makeup that attracts you to, you know, sticking up for the underdogs and challenging uh, the status quo? I myself consider, uh, I consider myself to be an underdog, Pete. When I think about my own background, um, you know, growing up um, in the Midwest, to a single parent and the challenges that I faced and really recognizing very early on that if I were just given the opportunity, uh, you know, to have some level of access to get in the game, as it were, I could show I could show up and show that I, too, could do what I put my mind to do. And so it's very much part of my DNA. I believe myself to be an underdog um, and also. Uh, just it just so happened 
you know, throughout my professional career, I've been afforded the opportunity to also work with disruptors, underdogs, uh, people who are kind of left behind, who may not necessarily have it as easy as others. And Airband is really an extension of something that's of really my DNA and how I'm wired. Uh, we work with our partner, our typical partner profiles are disruptors. Um, uh, we, we work very closely with a lot of wireless inter- internet service providers, both here and outside the United States. And uh, we believe in the power of doing things a bit differently, especially when you're doing the same thing and you're not getting a different result. Right. You know, we're all paying, you know, it's, we're all aware about the funding opportunities that are kind of flooding this market anywhere from RUS to RDOF to the infrastructure bill. Oh, gosh. One of the concerns, though, is how do we, you know, will that money end up in the same player's hands? So, so to your point about the established monopolistic, you know, tier one uh, folks, you know, what is Microsoft doing and what's your view and how we as an industry can prevent um, kind of repaving the same old roads and making sure that the money gets to where it's going to be most effective? Sure. Maybe I should just clarify. We approach this not necessarily focused on what others are doing, whether there's a monopoly or what other what the designs of others in this space are, but we're more focused on how we can show up um, in a way that's meaningful. So when you think about, and you've, you touched on this a bit, Pete, the reality of COVID, um, where things are, one thing that has been validated I think as a result of the pandemic is that, um, you know, the, the usual suspects are not necessarily um, what's required to really tackle this problem in a meaningful way. Um, you have to do, you have to be willing to do things a bit differently. And so for us, we, 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 we take, we approach the problem saying, you know, first we need to be clear eyed about, you know, where the gaps exist. And that's something maybe we'll get into as part of um, our further discussion here. Uh, but also being laser focused that fun, that this funding that's been created through this unique opportunity, which I think COVID clearly paved the way forward, that it's, it's, distributed it in a way where we where policymakers unintentionally of I'm going to assume it's unintentionally uh, don't do work or or, or or enact policies that actually widen uh, the gap and so we are actively engaging industry policymakers etc to push for thoughtful deliberate actions uh, to seize this opportunity. Yeah. And one of the things I think you all early on, uh, the initiative was focused on the uh, TV white space as kind Mm -hmm. of a vehicle for affordable broadband. But I I believe you guys are expanding beyond that. And I think that's one of the conversations that's evolved is not um, not getting overly focused on, say, fiber or a specific technology and that every community, every geographic area has its own specific unique needs and requires. some creativity and uh, multiple solutions. Um, so I think that's important for us to continue as an industry as well to kind of be thinking about, you know, there's not one, it's not a hammer, right? There's a lot of ways to solve this problem or to, to at least close that gap. Absolutely. That was, if I think about the work that we've been doing for what is now approaching five years through the Airban initiative, perhaps the biggest learning is that there is no one size or one tool that fits all. We're much better served per, 
you know, attacking this problem in a way that I think that is much more in line with Microsoft's approach, which is really empowering our partners to have access to a variety of tools to solve the problems as they present themselves on the ground. And what's necessary to uh, realize this concept of digital equity um, in a place like my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, will look very different. Uh, perhaps uh, then challenges and work you may need to do this work that may be required to realize digital equity in a place like Muscoota, Illinois. So it's it you do that is a, that's been a huge learning for us is that you there is no one size fits all. It's better to have programs that can land programs and tools that can land in a way that best meets the interests and needs and the topographies, population densities, et cetera, of the communities that you're targeting. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's kind of a double edged sword that I see is that you know there's a lot of newcomers into the space, both from private and um, the private community, but also folks that are asked within their communities to help solve this problem. And there's a huge learning curve for folks that have never stepped into this field, right? And so one one side of having options in uh, to way to solve unique problems that requires education and that requires money and learning and training, right? And so is having as many hands that we can we can contribute to breaking things down helping people understand how to get started right or how to get access to funding or what your options are um i think the better off we'll all be in terms of just raising um our overall you know outcome of trying to solve this trying to close this gap does that make sense Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's good. I think that the problem is so vast, Pete, uh, that we, 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 we probably can't overemphasize uh, the need for really driving understanding around the problem set and how to get after it. I know just yesterday or earlier this week, there was a, the administration has released a playbook, as it were, to help uh, people navigate the various programs that are available across the government to address rural broadband. We also have a, developed a playbook. There's a million playbooks that are out there. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, ultimately that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's really about, and, you know, others will, you know, it's really about how do you level the playing field and make this manageable because this is a huge undertaking. Yeah. Uh, to go from, you know, work that's been very much focused in D.C. where I hang out um, and, and with the federal government to then kind of shift the paradigm, which is what's already happening and which will only continue to happen to states and localities, um, which are probably better suited um, to understand the specific way that the digital divide problems present themselves in, their, in those communities. But um, it's one thing to have an understanding or begin to have an understanding of the needs on the ground. It can be quite another uh, thing to actually take those resources and ensure that you're using them in a way that optimizes for solving the problem as comprehensively as possible. Yeah, 100%. And that's part of what uh, we work at the Broadband Bunch is trying to curate all the things that are out there because we don't, actually don't need to develop any more playbooks. It's just right. people to what's out there, right? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about digital equity. It's a term that we use, you know, we use a lot, but and you've kind of touched on a little bit that beyond um, affordable access, uh, there's other components like affordable devices and skill sets. You know, can you just uh, explain a little bit further what, what your thoughts are on that? 
Absolutely. Um, here's again, here again, I think is a place where the pandemic, um, I'm always looking for lemonade, Pete, so you have to bear with me. Uh, but looking for, you know, lemonade out of lemons and learnings is just kind of my, 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 my approach to life. One thing that the pandemic has, has validated uh, very clearly, at least from my perspective, is that having access to broadband in and of itself is simply not enough. You can't assume that if you build it, people will come. And I know that on a very personal level because I experienced it in my family and I experienced it in my family uh, where, you know, my family uh, lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There are at least one or more providers of not just broadband services, but affordable broadband. Um, But being able to, one, take advantage of those offerings is not a given. And even if you have it, um, I think about my brother in particular and, and my journey with him um, is quite instructive here. Just because he has a broadband doesn't mean that he's using it in a meaningful way. He literally, uh, with he and my nephew, they struggle. Like he used his mobile device um, and the Wi-Fi in his apartment to get online. And he struggled to help my nephew who had a device through um, school um, to, to really just participate in class right? because, yep. you know, he didn't, he wasn't familiar with the device and he didn't have the skills that were necessary to really even function online in a meaningful way beyond what he was akin to, which is using his cell phone, his smartphone for everything. So this is very personal for me. And I think there's a ton of, uh, not just research, but lived experiences that validates this notion of, Access is one piece, but if you're talking about adoption, right. you really need to think about the other things that that have to be made available to make that real. And I think that that includes affordable devices as well as the skills that are necessary to not only just use the device, but optimize use of connectivity. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when COVID kicked in and, and we're happened to be in a in, in New Jersey where the school district yeah, started giving the kids Chromebooks prior mm-hmm. to COVID, but then, you know, now the kids had them at home and that was their primary, you know, tether to an educational experience. But what happens at the end of the school year, right? Is you exactly. turn back in your Chromebook and then they come back in the fall and everybody's a little rusty. You know, I'm not saying that school year round, but we recognize the need for access and devices, right? Um, but only when it fits within the budgeted timeframe, right? What happens in the other three months? And that, and that is not even getting into all the other folks that have uh, the inability to participate in, you know, the digital economy, either looking for jobs or, exactly. um, you know, finding health, telehealth services, that type of stuff, everything. So it's, it's a great point. I don't know. I don't know how to solve that problem, but I guess that's not the conversation here I have here, but it's a good point to figure out how do we start, um, thinking about adoption and skilling people up um, in a meaningful way. One of the, you know, one of the things that you're driving towards, you have a vision in your head, right? So you're clearly in a, in a passion project here, um, but at some point in time, you're going to move to your next step. You know, what is, what would you like to have achieved um, by the time you're, you're done your, your time with the Airband program? I think about that a lot, not to say that I want to be done, but I do approach work, my mind works with, you know, what is my go and kind of working backwards. And I think success actually, for me, 
is addressing the hard problem that you called out and kind of teasing out this notion of digital equity. It is hard. It's, it's hard and that's why it's not done, right? Um, you have somewhat, there, while there are millions of people who don't have access to broadband, there are millions other there are millions more that do, um, but they are still not connecting. And so for me, I success would be at least a, f- a full-throated embrace um, across our country uh, within the industry and policymakers and, and, and lawmakers and consumers, et cetera, recognizing that if we are to really be in a place where we need to be as a country, you have to have programming that includes all of these components. Um, You know, the affordable, not just access, but affordable, reliable, high quality access, uh, affordable, high quality devices and really relevant digital skills. And I do think um, from my perspective, uh, again, having been in in this space uh, for a fairly long period of time, my entire professional career, I do believe it's possible. It's not going to be something that happens overnight, Pete. But when I think about um, some of the promise of things that are provided now, for example, under the invest uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, for the very first time, you have funding that in, you know funding federal funding for something like digital skills. That's never happened before. Right. That's yeah. never happened before, and I and I just have to pause on that. You had. Um, with the pandemic and, and certainly kind of carried forward from the pandemic, you actually have federal funding for devices. And so I do believe that that becoming the new standard for me, and maybe it's influenced a little bit by what we do, but just really not us only, right? It's not something that the private sector or any one company can solve and frame up as what needs to happen to go forward. Um, but to me, if there if that really sticks in a meaningful way through in part work that we're driving and, sh- and holding up uh, our work and through our partners as proof points, that to me will be success. Yeah, I love that. And, and, you know, we talk about broadband as another utility. Right. And so if you look at the other utilities like water, electricity mm-hmm. and gas, I mean, look what happened in the last few months with the whole Ukrainian uh, oh Russian war. Right. What are people complaining about? gas prices, right? Yep. So it's okay if we have on, you know, don't have access to internet and it's, it's extremely expensive, but if gas goes up 15 cents, the whole world breaks down. Right. And so what is it for, for me, you know, when we start thinking about broadband, like electricity, where it's reliable, it's safe, it's affordable, it's essential. Um, and, and we have the access to it inside our house. Like I don't have to make my own light to turn on the light, you know, exactly. like, so, when we get to that, I think, and I do feel like we're, there's been a lot of acceleration. It's funny. We just can't learn from the electrification of, you know, 150 years ago, wherever that time frame was, you know, and like we all get it. Now, if you said you need to, you need to roll your own electricity to your house, everybody would laugh at you. Right. But we have <laughs> yes, people pulling fibers to their own house still. It's crazy. Right. So crazy. I agree that I think once we get into the fabric of kind of a legislative and political mindset. Um, I think then it just kind of creates the the mechanism for those things to kind of evolve there. Maybe not as fast as they should, because there's a lot of capitalism still, um, as there should be. But um, all right. So, but you know w- w- that vision, I think, is a is a good one for each of us. Um, you know, what are the risks though that you see that kind of between here and getting to kind of that full understanding and 
kind of the fabric level of, of our society as broadband should be, you know, what do you see things that are kind of stand in the way of that? Honestly, I'm, I'm starting to see some glimmers of risk to that vision even now. Um, it's, it's very easy um, to, you know, grab the, have the large headlines that say, Hey, you know, you know, X state has just awarded a hundred million in funding for fiber, you know, fiber uh, to the home for, you know, I'm going to exaggerate here for 70,000 homes. Now there's so much in that. So I want to kind of pause and say why I kind of chose those numbers. They're actually, I mean, it's an exaggeration, um, but you are seeing a little bit of that. You are seeing um, large awards that are going out, but that if you actually look under the awards and you really dig into it, what you can see is that there's not a whole lot of impact that will result from those awards. Right. Right. And yeah. so it's easy to grab that headline and say, we got this funding out and it's getting broadband access. Um, but what about really kind of getting to the problem? Are you actually just widening the gap through work you're doing? So that's a huge risk from my perspective. Or um, over-indexing on infrastructure as opposed to adoption. You have to be able to do both. We have to be able to do both. And that requires more thought, more nuances. You, uh, it requires, I think, policymakers and, and, and you know, people on the ground to really take a more nuanced approach. As a, let's, it's thoughtful, but at the same time, very much, much focused on, you know, making sure that everyone at least has a baseline of robust, affordable broadband and the ability to take advantage of it right now. So if you have these, these headlines now, you talk about the rush, uh, uh, the, the things that are happening with Russia and Ukraine and supply chain challenges, we were already having supply chain challenges, right? Yeah. Um, as a result of the pandemic. And if you're talking about only one, uh, technology solution is the only way to go. You know, you can, you'll get these awards out, but people will be made, waiting years uh, to get access to anything. And so that's what I think is the thing that concerns me most about making this vision a reality, like not chasing the sexy headlines, but doing the hard work, um, having nuanced discussions and thoughtful considerations to ensure that we are being, we're not blowing this opportunity that we have as a country, but we're making the hard choices, doing that cost benefit analysis uh, to get to where we need to be. Yeah, that resonates so well with me because I do feel like the, the municipalities that we speak to that are now getting this or waiting for these funding or getting some of the funding, the expectations from their, you know, constituents and, and neighbors, um, it's just unrealistic. I mean, especially given the things that you pointed out in terms of um, supply chain, just delaying things. It just, even in a good day, it takes years to get these things done, right? And so now we have a talent battle for talent. We have lack of resources. Uh, we have people that are new that are going to make mistakes. There's a lot of um, people rushing. So there's overbuilding. So, yes. it, it, you know, we talked about this, I think, in our earlier call about, you know, just adult supervision for the industry, right? <laughs> 
who's going to stand up and say, all right, hold on, you can't have eight, you know, 18 different electrical wires go into one house. That just doesn't right. make sense, right? Uh, we figured that out a while ago, right? Um, so, but we still haven't figured that out here. So hmm. um, that's the thing that I have concern is that we're going to, you know, we all in the industry believe this is a generational opportunity, but it could be a generational mistake too, if we're not careful. Yeah, that, that keeps me up at night, if I'm honest, Pete. I'm going to hold you responsible for it, though, Vicki. So okay. No, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about, so uh, there are some other folks in the uh, technology companies in this space, right? So, and there's a lot, you know, Starlink gets a lot of press around what he's mm -hmm. doing, especially sending stuff over to Ukraine. Um, and then on the heels of it, there's, um, on the Amazon side, it's, I don't know if I say it right, Cooper, Cooper, I don't know. Um, you know, so the cynical side of me may say, Hey, okay, Microsoft's in it for Microsoft's benefit. Um, I'm sure you get that question often is, you know, uh, you know, Elon Musk has an ego and a, and a revenue play. He wants as many people on this, the internet as possible. Same with Jeff Bezos, more people that are connected or buying mm -hmm. stuff from Amazon. You know, what would you say is different to the Microsoft's approach to Microsoft's commitment uh, versus those commercial commitments? Sure. So I, I, I think I started off when I when we talked a little bit about the origin story. Look, I, I, I don't dispute that comp tech companies like Microsoft benefit from more people being online. That's that's just a fact. Uh, but for us, it's it's a bit it's 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 that. But it's also that we believe that as a company, we've actually contributed to the rapid level of digitization. And as a result of that, we bear some responsibility for making sure that everyone has a fair shot at being able to realize that. So I would say compared to, uh, well, one, kind of the work that Amazon is doing. And look, I think there's, there's the problem is so huge. There's space for everyone to, right. to kind of show up. So let yeah. me just start off by saying that. But like, unlike what Amazon is doing, Microsoft is not itself saying that we want to become uh, a provider of internet services. That's not what we do. Instead, we're saying we recognize that we have a role to play, but that we want to empower others who are actually, this is kind of their bread and butter and what they do and working in these communities to do it. So that I would say is a point of distinction from us. Uh, and there's not kind of a one-to-one -one thing. Many people get online, but that doesn't mean that they get to Azure, our cloud, or that they even use Bing, our search engine, right? Everyone, I mean, it's, I don't want to even say it, but, you know, people use the term Google it to be synonymous with searching, for right. example, right? right? So it's not that, it's not that direct. It's not like, and this is not disparaging work of Facebook or Amazon or others, but like, you know, uh, Facebook is also, you didn't mention them, but they're also in this space. And yeah. when they do this work, you know, people show that particularly if you're, if they don't really are not, um, and this is not a, people want to be connected, right? But there's an immediate one-to-one, -one, you get connectivity, you get, you go on Facebook, you go on WhatsApp, right? It's not that direct with us. It's more of an indirect and it really, our program and our work really sits within more of our corporate social responsibility and social impact programs. And so I would call that out as a difference. I would also say that I think that our approach is a bit more holistic, again, not just focused on access, 
but really this more holistic vision of digital equity. And I think we were one of the first to people to kind of start talking about and reframing a problem set. And I don't want to, you know, um, be too generous. We had to learn that too. When we approached this, we were very much focused on rural areas and getting broadband access to unserved rural areas. It took us actually doing the work and thinking about things like, well, what about urban centers? What Mm. about when you actually get broadband access in these rural communities? What else is necessary to ensure that people can actually use it? Right. And so I, I, I count ourselves fortunate to be able to have really all within one company, you know, all those pillars around digital equity through our partners providing affordable broadband access, being able to provide access to devices. That is something that we can bring to the table, but it's not just Microsoft devices, it's third-party devices that are new, it's it's refurbished devices, it's kind of whatever is necessary. But also we have an amazing uh, digital skills uh, programming that's focused on not just basic digital literacy, Pete, and I'm not trying to do an infomercial, I'm just kind of stating hmm. facts, but like, you know, cybersecurity, uh, skills for job uh, for jobs and upskilling. We have all these things that we're able to bring together as one holistic approach to this problem. And so that's our program. And I believe that it is um, differentiated from other technology players who are in this space. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. And, you know, I think to solve a problem as vast as what we're dealing with, we require all hands on deck, right? So regardless of the motivation behind it, right? Just like the railroad barons, you know, a lot of people made money with the railroads, but that's kind of how stuff gets around these days. Uh, Yeah, that's right. um, You know, and I, so I wanted to kind of just lay that on the table that there, you know, whatever the motivation, the angle is, it's, it's a vast problem. um, And we all need to accelerate whatever we can to get it solved. Um, So back in law school, you wanted to be a criminal defense attorney, um, <laughs> kind of saw a different route, you know, so knowing what you know now, um, having the benefit of what you've seen, you know, if you could go back and talk to yourself in law school, you know, what, what advice do you think you would share with yourself? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Um, I would say, Vicki, it's important to pace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I people joke on my team and says, Vicky wants everything yesterday. Well, I do. <laughs> um, but um, I would say you have to recognize that big problems, um, systemic problems require systemic change and that doesn't happen overnight. Mm. So be resolute, um, be open to, you know, expanding your thinking uh, beyond what you think is the right approach or the right you know, right way to uh, tackle problems, to learn and pivot um, and be open to working with others, but know that it's not something that systemic change does not happen overnight. You know, it it requires consistent and steady, you know, getting after uh, the problem. Wow. That's great. Big problems require big solutions, right? So patience, I I use the same one myself, but uh... Well, good. I hope you listen to yourself moving forward then, right? So um, we've been speaking with Vicki Robinson. She's, she's the uh, general manager of Microsoft Airband Initiative, uh, walked us through kind of her history with uh, through law school, the Universal Services Program, FCC, and now 
leading Microsoft's global airband initiative. Uh, Vicky, it's been a pleasure. I'm a big fan of the work that you guys are doing. Would love to get you back in the future, kind of get an update on, on any uh, program efforts that uh, or outcomes that you have and uh, just check in and see how you're doing. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Pete. And I would love to take you up on that offer. Um, one thing that I didn't mention is that as part of this work that we're doing, we've made some public commitments that are going to you know, come due uh, in the second half of this year. And so I would love to be able to come back and you know, have you and others hold us accountable to say, what have you in fact done over the past five years and what's next for your work? Yeah, we'd love to do that. And how can our listeners find a little bit more about the Microsoft Airband Initiative? Well, you can do a Bing search um, and, and, and literally if you just type in, uh, you know, Microsoft Airband, you'll you'll invariably get a lot of things. A lot of uh, things will come up, including our website. I post regularly on LinkedIn about the work, the great work that our partners are doing, how we're approaching a problem set. And I'm also on Twitter um, as well. That's great. Yeah. So we'll post the link and uh, we'll post your Twitter handle so uh, we can get you some fans. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and have a great day. Thanks so much, Pete. This has been great.